Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back for another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado. Joined with me is Carter Baines, as always, our beat reporter for Beaver Blitz. We have a great show for you today, probably shorter than normal. Um, We don't have a Cal Poly publisher to bring on, but we do have your damn questions. We have Shamaya Whitson on the damn hotline, and Carter and I have a lot to talk about. Carter got to go to the game in Hawaii. So first of all, Carter, how was Hawaii? Oh, it was a lot of fun. It was my first time there, so... I did a lot of adventuring, um, just kind of going around the island, um, went up to North Shore, Waikiki and all that. So I had a great time. And then obviously the game didn't go the way uh, Oregon State wanted it to, but it was still fun to watch Mm -hmm. and a good experience to go see Aloha Stadium there as well. What was your favorite part? <sighs> that's I mean that's, that's tough. Probably the North Shore. Just oh, that's I made, always that's my favorite place on earth. Yeah, just because I made a day trip of it and and kind of saw everything. Carter, right behind your computer there on my desk is a bowl from Pipeline. That mm-hmm. sand is from Pipeline, mm-hmm. so that's how special it is. So, what about favorite food? What did you try? I've seen pictures of some of the things you you experienced everything. What was your favorite thing you ate? Yeah, probably the loco moco at at the Rainbow Drive-in. Um, just some of that authentic Hawaiian food. Um, you hit a shrimp truck. Yeah. You did malasadas at yep. Leonard's. Yep. So I, I did some uh, experimenting there with yeah. the food. And actually at, at Rainbow Drive-In, I, I sat right next to a couple Beaver fans and they were talking about local boys and, and how Rainbow Drive-In compared to local boys. And Close? Not I, really? I think, I think we decided that that the authentic food there right in Hawaii is a little better than local boys. But oh. it's it's... It's hard to compare to Local Boys because it's pretty good. Local Boys is my favorite too. So okay, well, let's talk about the game because you were also at the game. Takeaways: what What were some positives that you you saw? Uh, the run game definitely got it. Uh, it got itself back going again. Jamar Jefferson took thirty one carries. Okay, but it should have been more. It should have been more. Or yeah. AP should have had more. Yeah, they ran a total of forty three times. Um, when you add up all the players and their rushes. It, it really should have been closer to about 50. They, they got away from the run and got away from what was working and I think maybe just over overthought it a little bit. Um, but it was good to see some success there after they really struggled to find a rhythm against Oklahoma State. What about, what was your negative takeaway? Uh, probably just the second half offense yeah. in general. I mean, to have that kind of rhythm, score 28 points in the first half, firing in all, on all cylinders and then to completely fall flat in the second half, whether it was Hawaii making adjustments, um, play calling decisions that we'll probably talk about were really questionable. Um, Jake Luton didn't look very comfortable. I think that all just combined to make what really was just really hard to watch. The defense, though. Talk about that. I mean, I thought the defense actually played pretty well because I expected what did Hawaii, they passed for 421, um, which not great. But it, it could have been a lot worse with that young secondary. Yeah, so the secondary was probably the only part of the defense that really, to me, stood out as um, weak in yeah. that game. But other than that, I thought it was all around a really nice game for the defense. And they showed more of what we had seen in camp, yeah. uh, making plays in the backfield, 
Um, we saw John McCartan get the Beavers' first uh, first sack of the year, and then um, Nashon Wright got the first turnover. Yep, and, and then... Hamika Rashid had a sack, uh, a strip sack, yeah. and recovered his his own fumble. So we there, saw so... the turnover chain twice come out. Yeah, and that was exciting. So I agree. I I I actually had predicted a big loss. I mean, I thought this would be a fifty to twenty four loss. I think I don't remember what my exact score pick was, but mm-hmm. um, so in in certain regards, I think that this was a positive, but how do, how do the Beavers get over the hump, though, and win these winnable games? It just comes with, with experience and being in those situations because we remember last year there were not many close games like this. They were all blowouts. And so it's going to take a few games like this for them to figure out um, kind of what they need to do to, to get over that hump and, and pull away in those, those close games, hold on to leads when they have them um, because that's something that they haven't, had very often especially under this coaching staff um so a game like this will do a lot for them and then also next this coming week with cal poly um what should be a win that'll kind of help the the morale a little bit and give them a little more confidence because as well. the beavers did this a little different because usually you see teams maybe start with a cal poly and kind of increasingly get tougher and oregon state started with the tough guys and then hawaii is on the road is not an easy opponent either so um it's interesting. So I want to talk to you about the play calling a little bit because mm-hmm. in my mind, that's what I was most discouraged about. And get don't get me wrong, I love aggressive play calling. And, and I went down to Corvallis. Carter was still in Hawaii on Monday. So I went down to Corvallis and I asked Coach Smith about that the fake punt. To me, that was just plain stupid. I mean, I like yeah. being aggressive, but when you're tied and you're basically going to, if you're not successful, give them the ball in field goal range, I just didn't like that call at all. Now he they pointed out him and Coach Lindgren pointed out how you know they had all these drive stall that they would get they would be in the red zone and but a penalty would would take them out of it. Um, I don't know. I I just didn't like that call in that situation. If they were down by ten, maybe. Yeah. So I will say, we have seen that exact play in practice a couple of times, um, or at least I did when I was down there. I don't know if they ran it on the days that you went down, but um, from the exact spot on the field. Um, the exact play with Andre Bowden going out to the right, the right side there on the sideline, and they executed it in practice pretty regularly. Um, so when they, when they were running it in the moment, I thought, okay, this is going to work. They're going to catch Hawaii off guard, and then the pass sailed out of bounds. But like you were talking about, it gives Hawaii this field position where they're at least guaranteed three points. Now at the time. They were over three on field goal attempts, so you know we didn't know how that was going to go. But theoretically, they're guaranteed at least three points to give them the lead late in the game. At home, yeah. So that was that's why I didn't like the call because you know if maybe if Oregon State was ahead by a touchdown or something, maybe you go or f- down, down, yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's what yeah. I meant. Down by a touchdown, you're kind of desperate there. But in a tie game, there's there's no need for it to give them free points like that. Yeah. That that one that one frustrated me, and then the other thing that frustrated me was on the two minute drill, two mm-hmm. minute drive to in the you know Oregon State's last drive. They had two seventeen left on the clock, and it was all pass. First of all, the run had been working for you. The run had been working to the tune of like what six six yards of carry for Jamar and mm-hmm. over eleven for AP for as AP. Well. Not one run play called that entire series. A, no. you don't want to give them the ball with too much time, and B, try running the ball a little bit. Yeah. So in the moment, I was, 
expecting at least one run play in that sequence before the field goal. Because once they got across midfield and there was still plenty of time yeah. and they had timeouts, I figured, okay, Burn a go back. Yeah, go yeah. back to what's working for you. You know you're going to get four, five, six mm-hmm. yards per carry. Set up Jordan Shuker with a manageable, maybe 30 yard field goal, right? Instead, they go pass, 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 three straight incompletions, and now you have a 52 yard attempt with a kicker that's questionable yeah with a minute and a half left yeah to with give a minute Hawaii half to give them of time exactly too. exactly now the defense did come up and and get a stop there and got the ball back for oregon state eventually but they only had time for one more play um but yeah that i was i was really confused with the play calling down the stretch there because i thought that there was a pretty consistent way of getting yardage there to set up a much more manageable field goal yeah. and and they to in, tie my, it. in my opinion they kind of blew it there yeah and, and, you know, we're not here to bash coaches, bash players, but those are two things I think, and 2020's hindsight, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, if Coach Smith, if they go for that fake punt and make it, he's a genius. It's like, wow, that guy's gutsy, and, mm-hmm. you know, that was a, a gutty win. Yeah, and, a- and I hate being critical of, of these decisions because, like you said, if they go the other way, it looks like a great choice. And for the most part, I really appreciate playing aggressively. Yeah, me and too. So the other times that they went for it on fourth down, um, even from their own from their own territory, their own half of the field, you know, I kind of like that on fourth and one, going yeah. for it from yeah. your own whatever it was thirty five yard line, because you play the Wait. percentages and it's going to work out for you most. Of the and time. Colby Taylor had caught one of the. It was like fourth and four. Mm-hmm. Colby Taylor converted that one, but then it was called back on a on mm-hmm. a penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit now about where does this team go from here? I, I, we bring on Shamaya in the hotline and he'll, he'll talk to, to us about, about it from a player's perspective. Now fans, it's, it's interesting because I've seen fans on both Beaver Blitz and on online social media. They're like, it's, they're like writing the season off already. It's, it's two losses. What are your feelings now heading toward? So right now let's just look ahead short term. Cal Poly, bye week, Stanford. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was actually thinking about this this morning, and that's all Carter and I do, by the way, is t- think about <laughs> Oregon State football. Yeah, wake up and think <laughs> wake about up. football in the shower. We think about it. Oregon State um, but no, this was this was going through my mind this morning about, you know, when we were doing our preseason predictions, I said these first two games might not go Oregon State's way, but I, and I said they could win four or five games. Yeah, and honestly, I think that is still possible. Well, yeah, because so when I look at the schedule, I think. Yeah. Cal Poly, Cal Poly win. UCLA. Is UCLA looking... is really winnable. Yeah. Both Arizona schools, yeah. you could get those. And then maybe even Stanford. There's still five really, really realistic chances of wins there on the schedule. Exactly. And, I mean, the team's only going to get better as the season goes on, as, as they become a little more familiar. These newcomers become more comfortable in the scheme. Unless everybody gets injured. Unless everybody gets hurt. So this Which... was a rough game with Hawaii. So Addison Gums, my heart broke for him because he tore his ACL at Oklahoma last year, last fall camp, transfers to Oregon State, rehabs, works his butt off to get back in time for the season, and then tears the other ACL. Matt Tago is out now, they say three to four weeks. Nathan Eldridge tweaked an ankle, which I'm glad it's just an ankle. Ankles are bad, but I was really worried it was one of his knees. Um, But the center, Nathan Eldridge, is out for a couple weeks with that ankle. And then you've got the suspensions, too, and for the, the first half against Cal Poly. Caleb Hayes and Gus Lavaca. Talk a little bit 
about just kind of how decimated. I mean, before the season, we were talking about how deep, let's say, like the inside or the outside linebackers yeah. were. Now, all of a sudden, they will be getting Kyrie Fisher for Stanford. So that, mm-hmm. I think people forget about that one. He was the transfer from Arkansas. But you lose Matt Tago and you lose Addison, Addison Gums. Yeah, so I mean, that hurts. But if there's a position, and, and you don't want to say you ever want injuries, but if there's a position where you're going to have injuries, linebacker is where you want it to come. Because that's definitely yeah. the, the deepest position group, at least on the defense, and then maybe even on the whole team. Yeah, when when yeah. you think about how many contributors they have um, on the inside and outside at linebacker, um, I expect guys like John McCartan yeah. to really step into a, a big production role there. He had a really nice game against Hawaii. Um, and and I, he's kind of that Addison Gums. He's that long, yeah. you know, lanky uh, linebacker who can really get in the pass rush and, and get in the backfield. Yeah, so he had four tackles um, and the sack that we mentioned. Um, so I, I would expect him to to take a big step forward into um, uh, more of a rotation role there with with gums out. Um, at the other positions, offensive line losing Eldridge for a week or two. You know, hopefully hopefully it's on that short end and yeah. he only misses one game and he's ready to go after the bye week. Um, I, think, I think I think they'll be fine yeah, there. Yeah. The, the offensive line has shown through two games that they are so much better than yeah, last year. Yeah. I mean. The sack total. The sack total, exactly. Remember last year they were, you know, towards the bottom of of FBS and yeah. sacks allowed, and they have they've given up two. Through and two I years. wouldn't even like this one wasn't even on them. It was just mm-hmm. the quarter. It, I would place that one on. Yeah. It was a coverage sack. Yeah. Um, the one that I'm still worried about is secondary. Mm-hmm. So when I was in Corvallis on Monday, I did run into Jalen Moore. He tells me he's ready to go for this week with that hamstring injury. David Morris is bothered again by that foot injury. So he retweaked that against Oklahoma State. So he was not ready. They haven't ruled him out, but questionable. And then Jeffrey Manning's out. So you are really looking at a really depleted second. And we've talked about this weekly. But then we see Caleb Hayes out, which he hasn't even been on the two deep. And we have a true freshman and Nashawn Wright started last week. Yeah. Yeah, Nashawn Wright and uh, JoJo Forrest at cornerback. They were actually... Um, towards the top of the team in tackles last week, which we hadn't really seen them uh, make an impact in that way. And then Nashawn Wright had the interception. So I think those guys are kind of starting to figure it out a little bit, and um, they might be kind of the leaders of the secondary going forward with, with all of those injuries. Um, what I lo- Those guys, though, I think from fa- a fan's perspective, they're going to come up with some really big eye-popping plays, mm-hmm. and they're going to come up with some really... Dumb plays. They're going to have the plays like they gave up to JoJo Ward, giving up four touchdowns, and and he beats them by a mile to the end zone. There's going to be those, and then there will be the interceptions um, that Wright had, and then you know maybe maybe they find their way into the backfield every now and then to make a sack. But it's it's going to be pretty boom or bust. I think. Yeah, yeah. So a a former player I was talking with on Monday reminded me. He said it's gonna this can be fine, but he said it's going to be a little bit like. Uh, Brandon Hughes and Keenan Lewis's freshman year. And Beaver fans, I know you tore your hair out a ton. <laughs> but they had some big plays too. And then they had pretty mm-hmm. pretty good careers at Oregon State as well. So looking ahead to Cal Poly. Now this is a team that runs the triple option. Oh, you know what? Before we get to Cal Poly, let's talk a little bit about the fighting. Okay. That's been on the forefront of, of everyone's mind. I did talk to Shamaya about this. And you'll hear that coming up on the damn hotline. You were there. Mm-hmm. What was like? Let's start with Caleb Hayes because he looked hot. 
Yeah, so that one, um, that one happened on the side of the field closest to me, and so the play was kind of wrapping up on the other side of the field, and I I noticed Caleb Hayes and and one of the Hawaii receivers, I can't remember who it was, um, kind of going at it a little bit, and then, you know, as as players and refs and everything kind of came in to break them up, it was like Hayes just got hotter and hotter and just more amped up, and then he finally comes over to the sideline, and then he. He throws a punch at Avery Roberts, and I was amazed. Yeah, yeah. Like that is one of the things that you do not want to see ever. Ever is is two 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 teammates going yeah. at it. Which I've seen. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I remember seeing some practices with Dennis Erickson, and and guys would start fighting at practice, and they would just move the drill and mm-hmm. let them fight it out. Well, and this is, I think, a little but a little different than yes. what we saw yes. even in fall camp this year with you know, a little bit of aggression. This was just Caleb Hayes was out of control. Out of control. How about Gus Lavaca? Yeah, that one, that one to me is a little different because it's after the game. Um, it was an incident with a Hawaii player on their sideline um, as, as the final play wrapped up. And you know, there was a little back and forth there. And so I, I, I never want to say that a, throwing a punch is warranted, but um, I definitely give... Lavaca a, a little bit more of a pass there. Now you never want to see your captain yeah, your do captain that. Yeah, your captain do it. But um, Carter and I were talking. Emotions emotions were high in that yeah. moment, and, and he's you know from there originally. Mm-hmm. Um, he had signed with Hawaii originally mm-hmm. before his mission. Um, and Carter and I talked about this, and and maybe I'm being naive here, but here's a guy who's never done anything wrong. He's been this model player for you. Um, I think I have like a, a more tolerant leash. I, I, I know there's been some talk about the half game suspension isn't enough. But um, as someone who I, I don't I when I was that age I didn't do a lot of things wrong I mean I did, but then that then that guilt though you have right mm-hmm. for when I don't know I, I think sometimes you have to look at your punishment it's kind of like sometimes getting pulled over by the police and sometimes a warning goes just as far as yeah the ticket well and I think for a guy like Lavaca who's who's a great kid he's a team captain you know this is it's not going to settle well with him yeah. the fact that. Um, that he did this and the fact that he has to deal with a a suspension um, it's going to weigh heavy on his mind and you know it's a great learning experience for him and I think he'll be better for it yeah I do too Um, let's talk quickly about Cal Poly I mean there's not a ton to talk about they the Mustangs coached by Tim Walsh they run a triple option and you've already done the the film breakdown the tail of the tape this is going to be I mean Beaver fans Carter you probably weren't around when this was going on the pettibone days the triple option they're going to try to control the line of, or control the time of possession keep the ball out of oregon state's hands so offensively the beavers are going to have to be super sharp and score when they can defensively i do like that we're playing cal poly now because i think it will help maybe just shore up some of that discipline in the run game what do you think yeah it's going to be a pretty interesting challenge uh, for oregon state's front seven and i think it'll give us a, a really solid look at the improvement we've seen on the defensive line because if there was ever a game for uh, for that group to kind of show that they've gotten better it comes in a game like this where you have to defend the run you have to limit um the yards per carry you know keep them in front of you and don't let them into the second level um so i i like the matchup just from the sense that i think beaver fans will kind of see some of the improvement that they haven't gotten a chance to see um in the first two games with two pretty potent passing attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what, do, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think the same thing. I, and I think this is, could be, you know, I don't want to say it's an easy win because it's not, 
But I want to see, like you said, the lines dominate both sides. But I also want to watch the linebackers and their play and stopping the run and keeping containment, sealing the edge, and also you know getting into their gaps. Yeah, this gap should, sound gap assignment. This should be one of those games where, um, you know, for the the first two weeks of the season, we've seen the secondary for Oregon State making a lot of tackles, and that's something you obviously don't want to see because it means your opponents getting into the second level of the defense. This is a game where I see Oregon State's line and linebackers doing all of the heavy lifting. And then the secondary is there to, you know, clean up, yeah, Yeah. to kind of clean up the mistakes if they happen. But um, I see this being a big, big game for players like Avery Roberts, Mm -hmm. who have shown an ability to get to the line, get behind the line of scrimmage. Um, We could see a lot of tackles for loss. Yeah, that and Shamar Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's some guys. So um, next up on the damn podcast, we are going to bring in Sh- uh, Shamaya Whitson, former player, and uh, he's going to talk to us about emotions, about losing, and about changing that mindset and what's going on in the locker room. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, Beaver fans. This is Angie Machado, and it's time once again for the damn hotline. Today on the hotline, we are joined with former Oregon State football player Shamaya Unutoa Whitson, who's going to give us a little insight on what it's like to be a player, what these losses do to a team and a locker room, and just give us general insight on that Hawaii game and what's going forward for Oregon State. Shamaya, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. How are you today, Angie? I am good. The sun's back out, Shamaya. Yeah, it's nice. It's beautiful outside. It is. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, I, I really want to get a former player's take um, on just a lot, of, a couple things that have really kind of bothered Beaver fans. First of all, um, the game emotions kind of got away from the team. So we had Caleb Hayes throw a punt. You know, he got a personal foul. They're they're getting him off the field. Avery Roberts is trying to calm him down, and he throws a punch. Um, and then yeah. after the game. Gus Lavaca lost his cool over on the other sideline, threw some punches. Talk a little bit about that emotion and what players, you know, I mean, talk about just A, the emotion, and then B, how do you control that and, and harness it in the positive way? I mean, you know, it's it's tough. It's very tough because, as you, as you know, football is a very physical sport. And when you're playing in the collegiate level, it, it tends to get very chippy. You know, if, if you're soft, it, it kind of it exposes you, you know, and so you tend to have this chippy attitude towards everything and, you know, things don't go your way and sometimes attitudes clash. But what I would urge these players to understand is, you know, as long as you guys are, have the have the same mindset, you guys are on the same team, you guys are mad for the same reason, channel it a different way, channel it on the field where you can actually make a difference in this game instead of you know, maybe lashing out and doing something that in turn make everybody mad. You know, it, it could be something that's a positive, um, but instead, you know, players like to do selfish things and turn it into a negative, which only hurts the team. So talk, though, you know, it's, it's funny, though, because fans have freaked out, right, on social media, on Beaver Blitz about, you know, this can't be happening. And I, I tend to agree, but at the same time, this isn't like something that doesn't happen. I mean, I've talked to several former players who said fights break out all the time in practice, you know, what have you. I mean, do you remember having any fights that broke out oh, in yeah. practice or yeah. Oh yeah. Fights, fights at practice. It's, it's going to happen. You're you, like I said, it's a very physical sport. You know, you're running full speed into somebody and you know, it's, it's man on man. And when you get, when you get a whole bunch of macho guys, in one area trying to be man on man, you know, fights are bound to break out. It's about, you know, coming after after everything that's happened 
you know, you got to remember it's just a sport. We don't take it off the field with us, you know. Um, everybody gets really emotional during football, and it's like a heat of the moment type of thing, and you're on the edge, and, and it's at the end of the day, everybody shakes hands, you know. We, we all understand it's a sport. Yeah, so changing gears a little bit, but still sticking with that emotion part, you know, this, here's a team now that is 0-2, but had a very winnable game. I mean, Oregon State had that game at Hawaii, let that one kind of slip through their fingers. What, as a player, is your psyche like now? I mean, are you frustrated? Are you angry? Do you start to check out? You know, talk about just what goes on in that locker room. Um, you know, it's it. There's a there's a couple different you know there's a couple different scenarios. There's a scenario where you're the captain of this team, and it's only the second game, and there's a lot of great things that you've seen, and then there's a there's a there's the role player scenario where it's like you know this is it's it's a little demoralizing. You come so close and you lose it by you know just a couple choice plays, and uh, when it's something when it's close game like that, everybody has to take the loss on their head. You know, it's it's. There's something that everybody could have done that could have helped this game. Maybe it was a first down at the end of the game or it was a first down at the beginning of the game. But regardless, um, when it's a close game like that, everybody hangs their head. And um, I feel like I feel like this team has to realize, you know, yeah, it's early in the season. And, yeah, that, that was a very demoralizing loss. But there's still plenty of more football ahead of them. They haven't thrown the season away. There's still a bowl game that they could play for and just keep moving forward. So, you know, this team, I've, I've talked to a few people that, you know, argued with me a little bit, but this game, this Hawaii game a year or two ago would have probably been a blowout in my opinion. And here they yeah. were right in it. Do those kind of moral victories stand any, you know, or is it a loss is a loss and, and that's, you know, what you get. Well, I mean, to, to, to each their own, you know, some for some people, you know the 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 moral the moral win is not I wouldn't say it's equal, but you know it still carries some weight. To some, the moral win doesn't. Um, to me, I feel like the moral win definitely does carry a little bit of weight, especially for a team that's so accustomed to you know. I'm sorry, but you know losing yeah. very convincingly um, for a team that you know could could hang in with one of the better offenses in in collegiate level football and. Um, show that they can actually put up a fight, you know, I feel like it's a, the moral win outweighs, you know, the negative in this game. So, you know, you talked about role players and captains and, and kind of the different ways they can view this. You're a captain. Let's just, let's just say you're a captain. Now, now I've seen on social media, a few parents of, of reserve players have maybe been a little vocal about kids not playing. What do you do as a, as a captain to get some of those guys that maybe feel like they should be playing or playing more that aren't? How do you keep them bought in and not become a distraction in the locker room? Well, as a captain, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta go beyond the football field. It's, it, it's more than just, you know, encouraging them to, to get, you know, to make a play or to remember their assignments, but, you know, go, go talk to him personally, get to know what he's going through just to, you know, see where he's at mentally and try to develop him along, like bring him along. Cause we're only, we're only as good as the last player. So what that means is, you know, bring the bring that person that you know that really wants to get on the field. Bring them along with you. Take take them with you when you go do your extra workouts after practice or when you're doing film study. You know, just help develop them the way you're developing yourself. And you know, they'll pick up the habit and hopefully they'll you know cash out on some talent. 
So right now we're heading into Cal Poly. So really, the, the Beavers really start at kind of a top-heavy non-conference schedule with you know Oklahoma State, who has one of the top defense or offenses in the country, Hawaii, which is again a, a fairly good offense and a really tough, hostile place to play. Five-hour trip both ways, and now you come down to an FCS Cal Poly team. What do you want to see? from this team before they head into a bye week and then start Pac-12 play? What would be really refreshing to see from this Oregon State team is just sound football. I want them I want them to play sound football, play their gaps, play their assignments, you know, um, really take, take very, uh, take very uh, specific Strong ownership. Detail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, specific detail to their to their assignments and to um, their alignments and things like that. And I, I don't want them to get too many penalties. You know, I just we're the better team for sure. I just want them to to learn how to play that that A level football. You know, the 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 good teams play. Is there something as a player the when you hear people say that like this team needs to quote learn to learn to win? Is is that is there something to that? Yeah, I mean, learning to win is that that's basically what it is. You know, winners, they don't hurt themselves. They're, winners don't get, um, you know, as many penalties. They don't cause as many stupid plays because they know what it takes to win. And those stupid plays are exactly what it what hurts the team. I mean, it might not seem like much in a, like at the moment, but those stupid plays are, you know, are the difference between us winning the game and us losing the game to Hawaii. And I feel like, you know, if, if we just learn how to learn how to, win and and not hurt ourselves you know and lose the game in our heads then I feel like we're we're automatically a better team yeah you know that was interesting because I I kind of placed some of the blame on the coaches I I really questioned that fake punt on the fourth down um and then the 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 last two minute drill that they didn't you know have any run plays but you know then again when you when you listen to coach Lindgren this week and coach and coach Smith they bring up really good points I mean the, the team's moving the ball and then that second half, I mean, you're moving, and then you get Hodgins gets that pass interference call, and that takes you out of the red zone. Then you have the, I mean, the yeah. Colby fourth down conversion. Colby makes the conversion, but a hold penalty brings that back, and and they lose, you know, they don't get it. So right. um, some really, like you said, just stupid plays could have cost them yeah. the game as well. So I mean, it's a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas. But um, Shmaya, I appreciate your time so much. I love your passion, and look forward to having you back on the damn hotline next week. Great stuff from Shamaya Whitson. I appreciate him coming on and joining us and giving us that different perspective. You know, Carter, you and I have our perspective, but it's always nice to get a perspective from someone who actually knows a lot of these players, played with them, and uh, knows the game, knows the locker room. So I appreciate Shamaya and his time for coming on. I'm going to jump. We're going to do, we were going to do damn questions, but you know what? Quick hits. Last week, you want to know how you did? Yep. Five out of ten. Yeah, that's that's not good, especially okay. after six out of ten in week one. That's uh, that's disappointing. Okay, so you know how the you know the routine. I'm gonna just give you these quick hits. We're gonna do it, and then we're gonna jump right into the damn questions. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, will Jake Luton throw for over 300 yards? Yes. Who will the leading rusher be? Jamar Jefferson. Leading receiver. Isaiah Hodgins. Leading scorer. Man, this one's tough, seeing the way that they used Pierce and Jefferson last week. I'm going to go with Jefferson, though. Okay. Last last week you said Hodgins. Yeah. Okay, takeaways, over or under two? I think under, just because um, Cal Poly's going to run the ball a lot, and 
you know, it's harder to force a fumble than it is to intercept a pass. Okay, sacks over under two. I'm going to go under there as well, just because they're not going to pass often enough to, to make sacks. Leading tackler for Oregon State. Avery Roberts, uh, he was a leading tackler last week, and then I, I think this matchup sets up well for the linebackers. Will Jordan Shukare kick over 50% on all his kicks, the PATs and field goals? Yes. Will the Beavs score over 35? Yes. God, I they hope better. so. <laughs> and will the defense hold Cal Poly to under 200 yards rushing? I don't think so, just just because they They're rely so game. heavily on it. Okay, there you go. So you're... 11 of 20 now after two games. I'm hoping to uh, to increase that percentage this week. I, I think I think this matchup's a little more predictable than the last two. Okay, let's see how he does. We are going to jump right into damn questions, though, now. So you're not off the hot seat, because now we get to answer questions from our listeners via Twitter. We've got some good ones this week. We've got a lot, actually. I'm going to pull them up here. And we're gonna. I'm gonna start with a really tough one, just right out the shoot. Okay. Bill Matthews. Hello, Bill. Thank you for listening. Bill's a friend of mine. Through no fault of his own, but with eyes toward our QB future, how long do you stay with Jake Luton if Oregon State starts one and three? Man, that's a real. Yeah, you know that's a great question, and it's something that we talked about going into the season, um, since it was such a close race mm-hmm. entering the season opener. Um, if you're sitting at one and three, you're looking at, I would assume, a win against Cal Poly and then a loss against Stanford. And while there are still games down the road that you could win and then maybe put together a pretty respectable, maybe like four and eight record, which respectable by Oregon State standards, of course. Um, I think at that point, you would probably rather have Tristan Jebbia winning those games um, to give him some momentum going into next season. And while I, I really hate to see jake luton lose his job um at one and three maybe he's just showing you that he's just not quite enough against a team like hawaii where you would expect to have a really really good chance of winning with a six-year quarterback yeah and and then even stanford if if you're one and three and you lose to stanford you know that's a game that we've been saying that they could win um and so if he can't get it done then then maybe it's time to to move on to jebbia my, my biggest thing with and i and i, I look i don't care who they start I want, you know, they say they can win with both, both quarterbacks, but what got me more than anything this week was, and you were at the, in the press box, so you did not see this, but in that second half, when, when Hawaii took away Isaiah Hodgins as an off, as an option and the camera flashed on him a couple times, he had that deer in headlight look, Mm -hmm. you know, you had Togi eye dropping a couple passes, you had Hodgins not open and he had that kind of look of panic. And you don't want that from a six-year quarterback. Yeah, and you know, that's something that, that I kind of worry about a little bit is him just getting locked in on one or two targets. And then um, when a guy like, you know, Colby Taylor can't get himself open. Yeah. And when Noah Tongiai can't pull in passes that are thrown right to his hands. I mean, it's, yeah, it makes sense to be kind of scared away by, by some of those guys. But we also saw, to be fair, we saw Jake, I think trying to force way too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was throwing bullets, you know, 100-mile-an-hour fastballs at guys that no touch. So Yeah, he. Just, I mean, he just looked really uncomfortable back there in the second half. But, and... yeah, I think at some point you do. If, if one quarterback's not getting it done, and it's hard, right? Because you don't want to always be switching quarterbacks. You want to, you know, stick with a guy. But yet, at the same time, you have one guy that's done for sure this year, 
and you have another guy who they say all along can win you games. It'll be interesting. We have another friend of the show, and actually Carter and I know EB Hoops as well. So EB Hoops has a question for us. How many more recruiting classes does Smith have a honeymoon in selling his vision on you know what his program is going to look like? He says, um, my research shows second and third year classes are the only real shot. We need to hit some home runs early or these power fives don't get it turned around. And I have to tend to agree. That first year, I don't really count it. Last year, I kind of count as Smith's first full year. This year is hugely important. Mm-hmm. But where the team is, they need to win a few games to get on the forefront of some of the top targets' eyes again. And, and you know, Oregon State's not going to be pulling in the five-star guys. It's not going to happen. But if they can pull in the high-level three-star and maybe a low four-star, that's the kind of talent you need to to, uh, to rebuild this thing. And Transfer portal is going to be their friend. I mean, it's going mm-hmm. to be another year or two of using some transfer portal. But you're right. You know, you, Coach Smith has this little honeymoon period of selling his vision of the turnaround. But at what point do these recruits kind of say, yeah, you've been saying that now for four years? Well, so kind of the way I see this this situation being different or at Oregon State, normally I think, you know, even two years is not quite enough time to give a coaching staff um to kind of like implement their own culture and bring in their own players. But at Oregon State, you know, this staff landed so many transfers last year that a lot of these guys are their guys now. It's not just their recruits coming in as true freshmen. They've got, you know, Avery Roberts, Addison Gums, uh, Tristan Jebbia, Tyjon Lindsay. These are all Smith's guys because yeah. he brought them in. And so I think that gives the staff maybe just a little less time in that honeymoon phase because they have their guys already um, in the rotation. David Mainwaring asks, where's Key Wetzel? Key Wetzel is still out for personal reasons. And that's that's all we know. That's all we know. That's all we can say. And that's all we know. Um, Matt Walker says, the last two fall camps, I've heard how fast and good Josiah Irish is. So why don't we give him the ball? That's a great question. I think they need to do a better job of getting him in there. Um maybe in that kind of Champ Fleming's role a little bit where we saw them utilize him in the running game with um, they ran a fly sweep for him against Oklahoma State. That's a role that Irish could fill in right now. Uh, he doesn't need a whole lot of experience to to play that um, kind of the athlete role and then you know maybe get him involved in some short passes first to gain some confidence. And then where we're really going to see him is on the deep ball because he's going to be able to beat guys. I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten an opportunity yet, especially with Trevon Bradford out. And, and we've heard from the coaches that you know he'll make a great play and then he'll make an error, whether it be blocking or a route. That has to be cleaned up, but at the same time, you kind of need to get your athletes on the field because sometimes athletes are just gamers and they're going to make the play mm-hmm. regardless. Well, and the best way to learn is to get game experience, which I think would go a long way for him, especially with him being so young. Here's a really good one. I'm interested to hear your take, Carter. Christian Bass says, I'm not looking to make excuses, but are Beaver fans overlooking the injury problem this year? Is it okay to say that it's part of a part of losing? Bradford, Gums, JMO, David Morris, Jeffrey Manning, Reichner, etc., etc. Yes. Now, this is a really good point, um, especially in the secondary, because we've talked about how depleted the secondary is, and they're without their best player in Jalen Moore. I mean, let's remember that. He was the team's leading tackler last year. And he hasn't. He hasn't. And been just on the a field leader, yet. total leader. Yeah, yeah. No, he's 
you know, experienced. He's a veteran. And you and you look at the two deep at safety before the season, and you had Jalen Moore, David Morris, Mason Moran would, was on the two deep, Jeffrey Manning. Yep. All four of those guys are out. Yeah. And you know, obviously a lot of the problems come with the cornerbacks too, and that's not a situation where the injuries are affecting it. But the safeties are there for a reason. They're there to help out. And, you know, without those guys there to to help out those young corners and, and inexperienced guys at that position, um, that's huge. And then also, you mentioned Bradford being out. Um, the Hawaii game is a prime example of yeah. where you need to have another proven playmaker um, so that Luton isn't as uncomfortable. Yeah, and I'm not one for making excuses either, but the injuries are really starting to mount up. Mm-hmm. Um Daniel Devaney asks, what player has been the biggest positive surprise so far this year and who has been the most disappointing? Okay, I'll start with uh, most disappointing. I Unfortunately, I think I have to go with Noah Tongiai. Yeah. Because he came into the season fully healthy. Um, you know, he, he was coming off, he's come off multiple injuries here. And so this was kind of the year that we thought he might finally put it together. We've been talking about his potential for years. I mean, it's pretty clear yeah. with that kind of body, with his athleticism, you know, he could do some really special things. He's shown that he can't catch the ball. Yeah. You know, he's been exposed blocking a couple times. It's just like we thought that it would finally come together for him, and through two games, it's clearly not. And I'm disappointed for him because I think he was probably expecting to have a really nice year too. Um, so that's it, it's been hard to watch, and I hope he figures it out. Yeah, we're only two games in. I'm going to go with the surprise for me is our right guard, Clay Cardasco. I just, you know, I really didn't know what to expect with him. He came in, didn't do much last year, but he's really shown to be, I would say, a step up from what, you know, coming in for his first year, and it's already an improvement over what we've seen the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So that would be my surprise for, for the year. Yeah, we worried a little bit about maybe the off or the uh, right side of the offensive line taking a little bit of time to to figure things out because they didn't really have any starting experience. Cordasco and Kipper have stepped into those roles really, really nicely, and they're a huge reason why the line has taken such a nice step forward um, from this year to last. Yeah, year. I mean, I think the future looks super bright with that. Um, Beaver Bites asks, "What does this staff's philosophy seem to be on recruiting with official visits?" bring young men in for winnable games or try to bring them in um, for big event weekends. And, I'll, you know, they do want to bring them in. First of all, they like bringing them in in the summer. They like bringing them in in June, getting them here early, letting them see, you know, some hopefully good weather. They get to spend a lot of time with them. And then second place would be bringing them in for big game weekends where they can bring a bunch of guys in and get that atmosphere going. This weekend, for example, Cal Poly, no official visitors. Be a couple, or there'll be some unofficials there, local guys that that can come by. But they are saving their official visit weekends for Utah and ASU. And Washington's just going to be tough because it's a Friday night game. So ASU and Utah will be very, very big. You'll see lots of the the already committed athletes along with their top prospects. And you bring those guys in with those committed guys and it gives them a chance to get to know guys, let those guys help sell the program. So that's that's the philosophy that, that Coach Smith's been utilizing. Carter, you, you have anything? Uh, I'm, I'm not big on the recruiting front here, so you're, you're the expert. Um, I, I think you explained it pretty well there. I, I will say uh, bringing those guys in for big Pac-12 matchups like that is... You know, that's big time to have them at, at games like that. And then especially, 
in a situation where maybe you can get a win against Arizona State. You know, I, I'm sure they would love to see that. Yeah. Um, my friend Matt Chiafoni, Beaver Blitz, and he always asks me questions about JUCO DBs, and he asks, JUCO, JUCO DBs? Yes? Yes, Matt. Yes, yes, yes. It's time for, for some help yes. there. Yes. Um, <laughs> Oregon State is going to, you know, they're actually almost full recruiting-wise, so I, I could see them taking anywhere from, you know, six to nine players, maybe 10, depending on if anybody transfers out. But um, I see them taking three to four Juke, or three to four defensive backs. And two of their top target targets are JUCOs. So Nashawn Wright's brother, Rajon, is one of their top targets out at Laney College. Bakersfield College has another young man who actually came to visit back in June by the name of Justin Harrington, another top target, although he's kind of blowing up. But those are two right there on the forefront that you'll want to keep an eye on. Yeah, and definitely out of position where the Beavers need immediate help. So uh, to get contributors like that who have some playing experience, although not at the Division One level, um, you know, that goes a lot farther than having true freshmen come in. Yeah. And, and you know, people, there, there's an argument that says JUCOs necessarily aren't the best because it takes them a while. But a lot of times in, in those skill positions, they can pick things up a lot faster because mm. you just need some you know, bigger bodies. Well, look at Nashawn Wright taking exactly. a, a pretty noticeable step forward, although he gave up the big plays to JoJo Ward. Um, you know, an interception, six tackles, second on the team in tackles. He's he's clearly starting to figure it out a little bit. Um, last question is from Damire, R. Damire. And he says, I've been hearing that before the Beavs turn the corner that they need to purge the Anderson recruits. Are Anderson's players part of the problem? Are they just not buying into Smith's vision? Or is this just fans trying to rationalize their over-expectations for the year? I, You know, honestly, from what I've seen, most of these guys have bought into Smith. Um, some of them, I think, maybe are not as happy because they're not playing as much. But um, they actually got rid of... I mean, a lot of guys have left that didn't buy in. They've already left the program. And, and Smith has been pretty adamant that if you're not with them to go ahead the door is open they will give you a release uh you know carter you've been at a ton of practices have you noticed any yeah that was one of the first things that we noticed when we went down that first week of camp was just the culture and and how bought in they they looked visually you know to us it, it seemed like they were really gelling and um you know that their familiarity with the scheme has gotten a lot better um, but like you said, you know, there's always going to be some guys when, when coaching staffs change that maybe, and the going gets tough. Yeah. And that maybe, you know, this isn't what they signed up for. Um, and so when, when you see players get buried on the depth chart, um, you know, it happens. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I, I think the majority of the players on this team that were recruited by the previous staff are totally bought in. And, um, I mean, for good reason, cause Smith's staff is, I mean, they're great guys. They're great coaches, and uh, they're building something pretty special culture-wise. Yeah, I mean, the, the secondary I've, I've questioned a little bit, but we've heard from several. I've, I've heard from a source that Coach Blue actually coaches a lot more like Corey Hall did. So that was most of those guys' main recruiter. Um, rushing and Burns did coach differently. But, uh, yeah, Blue Blue's a tough love kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He loves them hard, but he also expects a lot from them. But and he's just a great coach He's overall. so fun. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Um, but no, I, I don't think, I mean, there might be one too, um, just because of the losing that maybe have thoughts, but, um, I would say as a whole though, the, the team is, is bought in. And like I said, Smith has 
basically let them know if you're not happy here that they want them to, to transfer because yeah. I mean, you, ultimately you can't the, have that. the staff wants the best for every player on the team. And, you know, if, if maybe they don't fit in at Oregon state perfectly, then, then so be it. And it's best for both parties if they move on. But, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully everything works out for all of those players. And hopefully this week we see a win because I think that would make Beaver nation happy. It would make the coaches happy and it would make the players happier. So thanks again, everyone. That was a, a great, great questions from everyone, and we appreciate you listening. Another great episode of the Dam Podcast. We'll be back next week with more questions, another Dam Hotline, and recapping the Cal Poly game. It's a, it's a bye week next week, so we'll probably take a look at just kind of how the stats have kind of trended for the first quarter of the season. Quarter of the season already. It's flying by. Crazy. Okay, have a great week, Beaver Nation. We'll see you down in Corvallis on Saturday at one fifteen.